Hi, and welcome to this um, second edition of the um, Innocence Project London podcast. My name's Louise Hewitt, and I'm director of the Innocence Project London, and I will be hosting uh, this podcast today. Um, and I'm really lucky to be joined by one um, of the student volunteer groups that I've been working with throughout this academic year. Um, before I introduce them, um, I'm just going to talk a little bit about what this podcast today will be about. Um, there's a number of podcasts out there about innocence work um, and about the hugely positive outcomes um, around innocence work in terms of people getting out of prison um, and being successfully exonerated. Um, there is very little out there in terms of the people behind the work that um, has been done, especially the students. So this episode today is all geared around the personal experiences of the students as casework volunteers. Um, and they're going to talk a little bit about their case um, and through the, the discussion around different aspects of the case, they are going to be, um, or we are going to be having a chat around what that casework has meant to them, um, how it has surprised them, and how from that casework they've um, developed a new perspective of the criminal justice system. So um, without further ado then, I'm going to introduce the student volunteers that we've got here today. So the first is Phoebe. Hello, I'm a third year law student. And then Ava. Hello, I'm a third year student as well. And Kieran. Hello, I'm a second year law student. And then Alexa. I'm a second year criminology and sociology student. So as you can see, this student group is made up of uh, law students, but also um, criminology, uh, a criminology student as well. So all the groups, uh, student groups on the IA, on the Instance Project London aren't just restricted to law students. We, um, we do encourage applications from those further afield. Um, and Alexa applied last year and, um, and has been working on the, on the project for the past year with this group, which is absolutely brilliant. Okay, so I think um, one of the most natural questions that we can start with is why, why did you want to work on the Innocence Project London? Uh, Phoebe, what was your reason? So before I started studying law at Greenwich, I honestly had no idea that organizations like this existed. And after some research, I decided that this was really a project that I wanted to be a part of, and not only to help right wrongs, but to help raise awareness to other students, colleagues, and you know, even people outside of the system, so that they are aware that flaws do in fact happen in our judiciary system. I don't think you're unusual, actually, in that point, in terms of not realising that this kind of work existed as a project. We're still quite young compared to some of the other Innocence projects that have been running and even some of the um, organisations that do similar type of work in um, other universities. Uh, we haven't necessarily been going as long as others, but it still is, I think, um, surprising to people that this kind of work needs to be done. And indeed, this kind of work um, exists. So Kira, as a second year, what was what was your um, reason for 
for wanting to come and work on the Instruments Project London? Yeah, well, I mean, firstly, I do have to agree there because, well, I mean, it was only a couple of months in to starting the law degree when, well, you, Louise, told us all about the project. And I mean, I was pretty bewildered that this sort of thing did even exist and even that us law students at our age can give our reasoning and interpretations to these sort of cases that, that will actually matter because, I mean, everyone seems to think that established legal profession that do all this work and it's just not and it's just it's so rewarding to be able to help a wrongly convicted individual as well as adding to personal skills and experiences and it's just something I wouldn't have imagined to work on ever really. So I mean Ava did you think that this kind of work was needed do you think when you kind of became aware of the project and and wanted to join it did you think that innocence work or working on wrongful convictions was something that was needed in this country did you realize that was the case I mean when when I started my degree course I thought that what it meant was that we would be putting guilty people away as lawyers and the way the a law course is usually structured that it tends to be focused on guilt um, rather than innocence but the innocence project I think is such a challenging experience in the sense that it's the complete opposite to what we're generally taught. And, um, you know, innocence is the core issue and it just has as much relevance as guilt. And so, you know, that was the reason why I decided to apply to the project. And to be honest, I actually think it should be part of a module um, at university. Absolutely. OK, so that's interesting, actually, because it was it was a credit bearing module for a good couple of years until it kind of went over to being a volunteer based. Um, and the reason it kind of shifted for, to more kind of volunteer based was because the feedback from the students at the time who had worked on it and worked on both the volunteer side and taking it as a credit bearing module was that they actually liked the fact that it was additional, it was something additional on their CV. But it's interesting that you say in terms of um, in terms of it being a credit bearing module, because that's that's something that I've kind of, I suppose I've always wrestled with a little bit. I mean, what what makes you say about it being a credit bearing module? Well, what my thought is, is that, you know, law is not just about proving guilt. It's about protecting the innocence. And so the protection of innocence should be a compulsory part of what you do study at, at university and it shouldn't just be something additional if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense, actually. That's really interesting. And that must be, Alexa, that must be something in terms of your backgrounds, because obviously Phoebe, Ava and Kieran all um, come from kind of a, a law perspective, a legal perspective. But your perspective is obviously very, very different in terms of kind of what, where you see and maybe where you view your case from. Yeah, definitely. I think um, going off of whether the wrong, like whether I knew about wrongful convictions, I think I did know it happened. But I think it's something that you much more relate to the American system. And when you watch uh, Netflix documentaries and um, documentaries on TV, I think it's something that you think is to do with the American system. And we're very critical of the American system. And I think when I talk to people about the work that I do on the project and like, um, just like in from a criminological perspective, I think you don't realise that it's something that is happening in the English justice system. It's something that more people should be aware of is happening 
at the moment and I think that's why like I wanted to work on the project so I think it's uh like just amazing really to say that you're part of something that is really making a difference and like even if you're just helping one person really that's making a difference to show all of the things that come to light in your investigation of these cases that may need to be looked into into why there have been wrongful convictions in the English justice system that people may not have critiqued before that's good to know. That's quite an interesting perspective, doesn't it? Isn't it in terms of being informed as to what causes these things? I mean, how do you all feel in terms of the facts about how long it takes to potentially take action to get a wrongfully convicted individual out of prison? Yeah, that was actually one of my first thoughts when I, you know, sort of dived into this case. And it was just, um, I mean, he was wrongfully convicted for 12 years, I think, before student caseworkers actually started taking action on his behalf. And yeah, I mean, 12 years is a long time to be wrongfully convicted. I think I was most surprised with the fact that there's like um, as much as the work that we do is incredible. I think I was surprised that there wasn't something already set up within the government or like um, a body that like deals with these situations because clearly they happen more than what you would think however there are people that are working pro bono to do the to work on these cases but you would think that there would be something like other than the ccrc which reviews the cases but that is helping these people you would think that there would be something out there that would be helping them to get their cases back into the courts and helping their situation that they have been wrongly convicted for such a long time yeah and you've got to think about it as well as people are paid to prosecute but people aren't sort of paid on this sense to you know understand why they were prosecuted wrongfully and yeah it's just pretty shocking yeah I would agree with you it is um it it is shocking in all the years that I've been working on it um the situations that of the cases that find our way to the project and um that we work on always continue to shock me in terms of maybe some of the evidential issues and some of the other things that um that some of our applicants um applicants face that we have to work on listeners now you know why these wonderful group of students um, want to work on the Innocence Project London. They're going to talk a little bit about their case. And just by way of a brief introduction, they have been working on the case of um, an individual called Leon Wilson. And his case concerns the joint enterprise um, principle, which is where a group of individuals can be found and held accountable for the actions of one person, essentially. And Leon was found guilty of one count of murder and one count of attempted murder in April 2009. A brief overview in terms of the facts. He was out with a group of friends in Bristol. He had um, driven his his friends there or or one of them had driven his car there but but it was his car that was used they'd gone to a nightclub they'd come out of that club they'd then gone to to get some food gone into a chicken shop and and had come out of there and as he came out of that shop with someone else there was probably what can be described as an altercation that started happening a few hundred yards away from where he was And that altercation ended up in two people being stabbed. Whilst Leon has never uh, refuted the fact it was his car and he was there with those friends, he has always maintained his innocence in terms of taking part um, in that altercation and in terms of his knowledge that anyone that he was with that night had a knife and also in terms of being party 
to anybody using that knife and inflicting inflicting the wounds that they did inflict on the two individuals who were the victims essentially of this altercation. I think what is so interesting about this case is, and I will let, I won't usurp what the students are going to say about this too much, but one of the most interesting things was the evidence that came from eyewitnesses as to the weaponry that was used and also as to the lack of identification of Leon actually being part of that altercation. In fact, no one identified from the, from the, from the other group that was party to this, um, to this incident. No one identified Leon as being in the melee, as it were, as being part of this violence and part of the altercation. Guys, in terms of what's been the most interesting thing let's start with interesting before I ask you about difficult what's been the most interesting thing about working on Leon's case Kieran do you want to kick this off yeah sure so um well when you get a case you're not sure of what to expect really and when you dive in you know you're looking at the judges summing up and this is what I mean the jury listened to to convict and we only had the jury summing up we had the judges summing up sorry wasn't there and even that was you know, so confusing. There was so many witnesses. There were so many different descriptions of the weapon that was used, and they just didn't add up. And none of us, I think, we can all agree that none of us knew what to believe or what happened. And I mean, yeah, you say about the different descriptions, and the thing is, with within the victim group, they all describe a big sword being used as a samurai sword or a kung fu sword and a Cuban-style fighting knife, but the thing is Leon didn't go to that situation with intent to kill and if such a big knife was used at the scene then he would have seen the knife in the car on on that point in that I think when I first started the case uh like working on the project I did think that in my mind it was more of a simple route in that I thought it was going to be like a smaller group of people like one versus one or I thought it was going to be a bit more easy to unscramble and I think when we all first joined and we were given the judges summing up, I think we were all a bit blown away with the amount of conflicting evidence there was and the amount of stories and people from different groups, people working on the night, just so much that we were trying to get our heads around. And I think it was just so interesting to read about how many people were involved. And I think we could all, when we first read the judges summing up, as if you were a jury member, I think you would have sat there and really been trying to take it all in but it was just so a lot of information at once I think one of the key areas wasn't it that we all found really frustrating was as Kieran you pointed out was the, the, the description of the knives yeah um in terms of I think we had a we have we had a description for a ranger from a samurai to a, a Cuban style sword and actually those kind of weapons would be quite hard to conceal and I think some of you have seen the CCTV footage from the case. I'm not sure whether all of you have, but certainly I think Phoebe and Alexa, you have. And on the on the footage, there has there was no sign of these samurai swords coming out or this this, you know, what would be a rather Cuban style sword being produced and, and being taken into this fight. In fact, everything was so quick it would have been quite hard to to kind of whip out something like that, I guess, in terms of, <laughs> of uh, not having a sense of pre-planning about um, 
going to use it. I mean, I mean, Phoebe, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, you know, the descriptions of the knives were so conflicted. And truthfully, it's absolutely impossible to conceal a Cuban knife. I mean, where exactly are you supposed to put that? It's not <laughs> as if you can put it in your pocket. And it's interesting to note that the prosecution's case all had these um, ideas that the knife was absolutely huge, but Leon's case all said that the knife was really small. So yeah. it's interesting that the conflicted description of the knives only really came from one side as well. There was a bar as well, and there was actually people overlooking the incident, and they only describe a Stanley blade or a four-inch knife or a blade which retracted. And I mean, a samurai sword's not going to retract, right? But moreover, when the expert, um, expert actually looked at the body, the wounds didn't actually match up with the knives that they were describing. It was actually quite a small knife. Yeah, because one of the points that we found, actually, haven't we, that no one really looked at was the size of the wounds versus the um, weapons that were used. And actually, the size of the wounds were quite small, but the control that would have been required to cause such small wounds from such large knives would have had to been quite extreme. Um, I think um, I think we were talking about if it had been a samurai sword, the wound would have been caused by the tip. So the control aspect, you would have literally been kind of hovering and, and putting that samurai sword in to a certain extent and then kind of pulling it back out in quite a controlled way. And and that CCTV footage doesn't or doesn't show any sense of control in that way, let alone kind of any um, any indication that those weapons were were there and, and were that big so certainly that aspect has been quite interesting what about anything else any any other interesting points that anyone wants to throw in that they they've found whilst working on Leon's case I think um as a criminology student I think it was really interesting for me to get to know the law on joint enterprise because like obviously I had never really heard of it before um so like, getting my head around the law and trying to understand that Leon's case was actually tried under old law which now we have new law I think that was super interesting for me to learn like from you guys and just like from the cases about how the law works more because obviously I don't do that on my course. Yeah definitely so um, where Leon was convicted in 2009 and part of the prosecution case was that the, the group uh, they were separated into two groups and the group that Leon was part of all walked shoulder to shoulder in formation aggressively down towards this incident where or where this incident took place, thereby, you know, their, their joint their joint enterprise was formed. They all had the same intention at that time. But as you quite rightly say, and I won't rehearse the law here, that's maybe something for another day or another episode. But the, the later case of the Crown against Jogi has arisen since then, which has certainly looked at and reviewed this whole principle in terms of joint liability, specifically parasitic accessory liability, which is obviously not necessarily related to Leon's case directly. But there have been some really interesting aspects, I think, that we've managed to look at in terms of the weapons and certainly knowledge of weapons and, um, and things like that. So interesting, okay, difficult. Um, Ava, what's been the most difficult aspect of working on Leon's case? Well, um, I think the most challenging aspect um, was the fact that when I started working on the project, I had to completely forget any idea that there's an ideal innocent profile. 
that I had to come to terms with the fact that it's a completely flawed concept in the first place. And I think that from an outside perspective, it's easy or quite easy to view innocent and guilt as if it was a black or white case. And that if you don't fit the ideal profile of an innocent person, then that must mean you're guilty. But that's really not what the reality is. And in, in Leon's case, for example, the, the fact that he was at the scene of the crime meant that he didn't fit this profile. But not fitting that profile didn't mean that he was guilty. You know, it's not cut and dried. And whilst he is innocent of murder, he's not completely innocent. So I think that was, I guess, the, the most challenging thing, and you know, proving the opposite of what the law is telling you and dismiss this black or white distinction. Yeah, that's really interesting in terms of kind of our, our ideal innocent person, isn't it really, I think, in terms of we all want our ideal innocent person to not have any previous convictions, to yeah. have an alibi, to let you know to, to show that they definitely weren't there at the at the scene of the crime at that time because I think actually you know that makes it easier doesn't it that's somewhat easier to resonate with it's somewhat easier to to feel some kind of empathy for that individual in terms of wow they absolutely didn't do it it, it can't possibly be them so I think it's really interesting that you say you've kind of had to wrestle that ideal out of your head and actually look at what innocence really means, maybe in a kind of different way to something that you otherwise would have done had you not been um, been working on the Innocence Project London. I think that's quite interesting. I mean, Alexa, was that something you you had to kind of come across as well, you had to face? Yeah, definitely. I think when you start the project, you think you're going to sit down and all the notes are going to point to them being innocent and you're going to kind of sit down and be like, why wasn't this person innocent? But I think something that we all had to get our heads around was, you know, like he was there on the night. He does appear in some of the CCTV. I think we had to really sit down and piece all the events together and get to know all of the different accounts and put a timeline together to really understand what part he did play. And it wasn't the part that he's been convicted for, but he did play a part. Like I think the ideal, I think we all went into the project thinking that there was going to be an ideal person that we were going to be given and you know it was going to be a bit, bit more of a straight road but it obviously wasn't but I think for me one of the most difficult things like overall was that when we found key bits of evidence or things that we thought really helped our case that we may like not be able to use or um, for example like you said earlier when Leon hadn't been identified in the identity parade um, by any of the Reading group, yet yeah. one of the people were heavily relied on in their statements to place Leon at the scene. And I think when you sit and read it back, I think you you sit there and you think, oh, like, why has that happened? Why has, you know, why hasn't this been looked into more? Or why wasn't this used in court? I think you really are critical of the things that have happened. And I think that's what I found most difficult because obviously you can be critical once it's done of someone's job. But obviously when you're the person doing the job, I can imagine it's completely different. Exactly. And I think, what we do in terms of being able to deconstruct a case once it's been concluded and that conviction's happens, whilst that is completely unfortunate for the individual who has been wrongfully convicted, from an academic perspective, it does allow us to kind of look critically at that process. But I can only imagine, obviously not practising, 
that what it's like being in the middle of it and how you know how chaotic it can be and almost how much information is thrown at you in terms of being able to to piece the case together and to take the best possible version of that case into court so I completely agree with what you said in terms of you know we have the luxury of being able to look and and have the critique but you know that's at the end of the process isn't it that's when that conviction's been said and done been done and dusted as it were so we've talked about interesting we've talked about difficult from working on Leon's case then is there anything that has surprised or shocked you um, maybe in terms of evidence, maybe in terms of of the court process. I mean, Ava, what are you? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think perhaps what surprised me, and we have touched upon this already, is just um, how the conflicted evidence led to Leon's conviction. It really baffles me how that happened. I think because it's just something that should have never happened. It's yeah. It's interesting. We presented this, you or you we you all presented your case at this year's um annual miscarriages of justice symposium and martin hewitt who was one of the guest speakers there who's chair of the national police chiefs council he even voiced the fact that with that evidence he was struggling to see how leon got convicted um in terms of that evidence being weighed against him I don't want to say maybe my um, maybe my view of things is slightly tainted because I've been doing for this this for so long, but it I think it can be shocking sometimes to see that, especially for you guys, in terms of maybe the how the evidence stands up and the weight that is accorded to that evidence by the jury. I mean, Phoebe, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I generally think that um, it's just also really shocking how much weight we're willing to put on expert evidence during these trials especially in high-profile cases. Um, in most cases, just readily accept the axiom of an expert. And I know we've touched on this before, but especially with the CCTV, this was such a big part of the prosecution's case. And really, if you look at the CCTV, you can't identify anyone. And you can't identify who is who, or really who is where. And it's so interesting how eager we are to accept the absolutes rather than accept that in most situations there are shades of grey yeah I think you're right um it was there was quite a lot of weight wasn't there put on that CCTV in terms of the report that was put together and you viewed it and I know Alexa you viewed it as well and um it was yeah there were there were no really clear clear shots from the distances that that mattered were there no there definitely weren't I think definitely that's one of the most shocking things is the expert evidence in this case that was used like with the stab wounds and the cctv both of those things i think for all of us was really hard to get our head around with why someone didn't piece it together at the time like why didn't someone sit down and say this evidence on cctv is too blurry you cannot make out who each person is and why didn't someone at trial say these knives couldn't have possibly been used because the stab wounds don't add up why has it taken 11 years later for us as students and as a project to put all of these pieces together and be like this couldn't have happened I think that's what most shocked me is that someone at the trial after listening to it for weeks and weeks and weeks and for this to be someone's job and knowing that it could be someone that would be going to prison for a very very long time I think that's what most shocked me that someone 
that is in this profession didn't sit down and completely rule these things out and say this isn't right this can't have happened and Kieran what have you found that's that's been most shocking or surprising having kind of uh, been exposed I guess to the criminal justice system through Leon's case well I mean one of the most eye-opening things is when we all went into chambers and actually had to look through the evidence that was used at trial and the amount of witness statements we found the police reports the CCTV pictures everything it's just I mean well you'd think a case would be more constructive but from what we've seen everything was just sort of thrown at the jury and I I mean after working on this case for a year I mean even I don't think we have our heads around it let alone you know 12 people who have listened on the case for two months three months and then they've had to convict four people whether or not they're innocent or guilty it's quite complex isn't it in terms of joint enterprise I think I think we'd all agree with that so as you said, as you quite um, rightly said, Kieran, you've been working on the case. Uh, all of you have been working on the case for this academic year. So, I mean, I, I would like to think that from the work that every student on the project does, that it helps them develop a kind of a critical perspective about the criminal justice, in, uh, justice system in England. But can you describe, can you maybe put into words for our listeners what that critical perspective is? for you? I mean, uh, Alexa, do you want to maybe start off with this? I mean, yeah, I I definitely think I have developed a critical perspective of the criminal justice system. I think when you analyse these cases of people that are wrongfully convicted, um, it makes you realise how many people work on these cases, like from the start to the finish, from the police officers that first go onto these crime scenes to the judge that ends up sentencing them. I think it makes you realise that there are so many cogs within the system that have to all work together. And if one part doesn't work properly or one person doesn't do their job properly or one person doesn't follow a lead, it means that something goes wrong and an innocent person ends up being in prison for something that they didn't do. And then even after going through the justice system and sitting in prison, you then have to go through the appeals process, which for wrongful convictions is such a slow process. Um, and you need new evidence or a point of law for you to be able to appeal. So in the UK, it's so hard for someone to get their conviction overturned. But I think when you're on this project, it makes you think, why is it so hard to get a conviction overturned when, like we said, like other people have seen our cases and gone, oh, that someone should have pieced those things together. I think it, it, it's so hard for us to comprehend how hard it is for these convictions to be overturned when some things can be so obvious. Yeah, I, I guess it goes back to that point you made earlier in terms of the luxury of us unpicking it and deconstructing it once, I guess, it, it, it's been done. Um, but I suppose that is that in itself is also part of the critical perspective that can be formed. I mean, Kieran, what about you? What, how would you describe the perspective that you've gained on the criminal justice system from working on Leon's case? Yeah, well, I mean, firstly, when I applied, it was about um, the discussion about only two cases have been overturned in the UK. And I yeah. think those are in Cardiff, right? The Cardiff yeah, it was the project. Cardiff Innocence Project that has, they have been the only successful um, project that does innocence work that have managed to take an application, make an application to the CCRC and then have that application successfully referred back to the Court of Appeal where the Court of Appeal has then quashed the conviction. So yes, you're right. Yeah. So it's developed my perspective and what the Innocence Project did then actually working on it you 
you realize why it is that hard and you realize why wrongful convictions do happen especially in joint enterprise cases that links quite nicely to the point you made in terms of what can you you can only imagine can't you being a jury member and listening to a case like leon's and being completely baffled and maybe even a bit overwhelmed and bewildered by what you're hearing in terms of understanding all the different pieces and the different parts of it and and who does what and who had what to play and I think that's quite you know that's quite tricky I think at the best of times um Phoebe coming to you what's what would you say your critical perspective is um I honestly feel like this experience has really exposed me to the reality and I think it has really helped me to comprehend that each case may not be as open and as sharp as it looks at first glance yeah that's not that's uh yeah I think um I think as, as from my perspective, we might call that cynicism, but I love the fact that you've described it as a critical perspective. I'll take that. Um, <laughs> and, and Ava, what about you? What, what would you describe your, your perspective that you've developed whilst working? Yeah, um, well, we're working on cases that clearly something went wrong. Someone is in prison and that someone shouldn't be there. And it's not perfect. And, you know, since what's at stake is the, the life of someone, it, it should be as close as perfect as possible and uh, yeah yeah they're all um it's interesting to hear you speak about kind of the things and the, the the perspectives that you've developed from working on the case which I'm guessing you may you know you would had you not worked on this this case had you not worked on the innocence project you might not have been exposed to which leads me on then to kind of our, our closing question for 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 this episode of the podcast you know what impact has this had on you then? Alexa, you start. What what impact has this work and has working on, on the Innocence Project London had on you? I think um, it's something that I'm super passionate about now and I'm so glad that I applied. And I think it will be something that will have an impact on me forever, if not for a very long time, because um, hopefully one day I would like to obviously work within the criminal justice system. So I just think the work that we're doing at the moment is just so important to remember when going into the criminal justice system and remembering those people that will be at the end of the system and I think the innocence project like we just said makes you super critical really critical and makes you realize that like every single person in the criminal justice system has a role to play in these wrongful convictions so I definitely think it will have an impact on all my future jobs that I decide to do and where I go to in in the future and Kieran for you um but I mean I think as relevant as it is to recognize the discrepancies of the system as we've discussed I think it's equally as important to notice and recognize the addition of skills we've gained as individuals so like analytical skills and even confidence like performing at the symposium in front of 150 people is not something I mean I had expected to at the age of 1920 and it's just yeah really enlightening in the fact that this is such a big thing yeah I think that's really important to recognize actually in terms of kind of what you develop and how you as individuals develop whilst working on the on the project on the work on the case because all of the skills that you develop are hugely transferable into kind of whatever you go on to do whether that's in law or whether that's in another part of the of the criminal justice system i mean um ava coming to you what would you think um has been the impact of this work on you 
Well, um, I think that uh, most of all, for me, it was a question of, um, well, a matter of personal growth, um, if you would call it that. And, you know, I think my approach has really matured um, with regards of judging, um, I guess, a, a person's guilt. So my reaction, I'd say, is not as impulsive as it, it might have been before. And, you know, I always try to make sure I... Um, I have all the knowledge that I need before assessing, you know, a situation. But um, I'd say also it has definitely helped me in terms of what I want to, I would like my career path to be because I think um, I would like to go in the criminal law sector. I think that that's, uh, yeah, where I would definitely want to end up. Excellent. And, and wouldn't it be great if, um, you know, if you went down the, the, the route of qualifying as a as a barrister or a solicitor, if I could entice you back um, once you qualified <laughs> to work with a group of students? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yes, definitely. OK, so uh, listeners, you've heard it um, here. Um, Ava will come back and work <laughs> on the Innocence Project. Um, and Phoebe, um, last but by no means least, what, what impact has this work had on you? I think I have to agree with Ava's point there on personal growth. Um, I really think this work has impacted the way I will approach future cases. And I feel that I am aware or more aware of the internal biases that I didn't even realise I had before starting this project. And it has also motivated me to pursue this avenue throughout my career. As now I know that these situations arise, it is impossible for me to overlook them. Oh, fab. Well, look, it's been... um... We've, we're coming to the end of this episode and it's been absolutely brilliant to um, chat this through and talk all these things through. I know we talk about these aspects anyway, um, but it's been really, really good to have the opportunity to put these reflections, I guess, um, to record them so people can hear them. And, and they do matter because actually there's lots of other students out there who are interested in this type of work, who value your contribution. There's lots of people as well that value your contribution and your thoughts. So um, I hope to whoever's listening to this that you do um, do listen to, to what um, Baby, Phoebe and Ava and Kieran and Alexa have said in terms of kind of how hard the work is and the impact that, is, that it has had on them. Because although it is difficult, although it isn't easy, um, it is something that stays with you and I think it definitely is something um, that people take with them no matter kind of what area of work they go into. So um, my hope for putting together something that was 30 minutes has gone out the window completely because the conversation <laughs> has been so lovely. Um, so that just it just leaves me to say I guess goodbye to thank um, Phoebe and Eva and Kieran and Alexa, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, and um, to everyone that's listening, thank you for listening. And uh, we look forward to, I look forward to, um, to putting together the next episode of the podcast for you. Thank you so much. <laughs>